We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, friends. It's Kirk Henderson. Uh, I'm joined today by Mavs Moneyball contributor and D Magazine contributor, Iztok Franco. Hi, Iztok. How are you? Hi, Kirk. Hi, Kirk. I'm good. I'm Here glad you. Are. you... How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I, I. I. Part of you know, we don't get to talk every day because nine hour time or seven hour time difference in basketball. Not every day. But it's it's always good to talk to you because you are a level-headed person, whereas I am not when it comes <laughs> to watching basketball. And and I think uh, you know reading and, and talking basketball with you makes makes my brain feel a little bit better. Um, coming up after you and I talk, I actually did a, a short podcast with our Mavs Moneyball writer Matthew Phillips, and he just kind of cherry picked some weird stats from the first ten games. <laughs> and I don't know how this team is seven and three. But I think what we should do is jump right in at probably the key reason that they're seven foot three. You wrote a, a lengthy piece for D Magazine called uh, Jalen Brunson could be even better than you think. And I wanted to sort of pick your brain about it because, you know, for anybody that hasn't seen it, I'm going to link it in the in the you should go to the, the podcast feed and the link. I'll make sure to link it in there. It's a real it's a, a lengthy look at, you know the fact that Brunson's just played 200 games and what that means and what, you know, the data showing and kind of comparison points. And first I want to know, you know, what led you down this particular path to want to write about Brunson? Yeah, this was something that was on my mind since somewhere in, I wrote for Mouse Manable, I wrote last year about Brunson and his improvement. And since then, I because there I started looking at some of his data, some of the stuff he's doing in more detail. And since then, I had this on my mind. And uh, also when the season started, because in my opinion, he's the player, let's say not counting Luca, that has the biggest upside on this team. This team failed with so many development projects. And he, although he's 25, I think he keep, he's on this trajectory that is 
and this is what I try to show in my data. That's that's uh, that you can see obviously the trajectory of improvement and how he improved uh, through the first 200 games. So I started digging a little bit deeper into it, and then what I started to think and compare is to some of the similar stories in the NBA. So I tried to look at this, let's say a little bit undersized six one, six two, six three guards that came in the league a little bit late at 21 or 22. Um, and they're like a late bloomer. So they didn't, let's say, become a star right away. So I started to compare his career trajectory to the one of Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, Brogdon. Fred Van Fleet is obviously the big, I think the most obvious comp because of the similar body type and size. So when I started to put this data, you can see that Branson is basically on pair with most of these guys in this group. Which is really surprising to a degree because... And and I want uh, I know we we're going to sort of expound on this, but the Jalen Brunson we've seen the past three seasons has at he's obviously been good, but he's shown he's been good at scoring, specifically scoring. And yes, but the data as a whole shows a lot. Like this is a guy, and this is where I get crushed for this because of some of my in-game tweets the last several years. <laughs> um, this is a guy who hasn't always shown that as a maverick, and that might have been on purpose, i.e. Dallas Mavericks head coach Rick Carlisle told him to do a specific set of things, and then he didn't really get to show his full skill set. Yeah, and so if I, as I said, most of the data that's, that shows, and it's mostly scoring focused, but I look also at playmaking at some of the assist stuff that really improved this season. But as I said, most of the data show that he's on pair on per possession level or in scoring efficiency. But his minutes were down compared to others because most of the other guys hit the 30 minutes per game mark at 200 game or the late ones at 300 career mark. So minutes were down. So his scoring totals are not up there with the others. So he he just hit now in uh, 15 points per game this season. And when I started to ask, I reached out to ex-Merrick's player development director, player development, uh, Mike Procopio. He's also the guy, I don't know if the listeners know, who trained or advised Kobe Bryant at some point with development. And he threw some, let's say, digs at Rick Carlisle, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> so basically saying that he didn't have the opportunity and that maybe Rick wasn't the biggest fan from the start. This is one quote in the article that, let's say, implies that. But on the other hand, Branson also this season talked at length about, I really watched one post, uh, post-game interview and he, he started, he was really emphasizing the part where he said that Kit is letting him do a lot. So this a lot was it's not something that you saw, a coach is letting me do a lot, but he says like a lot, you know? So I think it's in a way... He, he he has more freedom now, I think, to play out of the system that he was uh, the last three years. And you can see it on the court. Well, and people are probably going to disagree with me on this, but I feel that when it comes to the playmaking, he is making passes this year that he was not making last year. Now, I'm not sure if that's because it's something he was working on or whatever, but my criticism and thought going into the season is, the player that Jalen Brunson has been his first three years is a good player. Expecting more for a 31st pick in a, in a 60 person draft is kind of hard to do. I mean, I was 
part of that's because I wasn't sure how, how much better he could get, but I also didn't want to outpace expectations. But to what you're saying, he's realistically the second best Dallas Mavericks draft pick of the last 10 or more years. And it's really not close. I mean, it, he and Luca have, and, and they've come to, you know, Luca was obviously a great pick. We know this, duh, but, but figure finding another guy like Brunson. And, and I want you to, to talk a little bit about this where they've kind of excelled independently of one another, where he ran the first unit and, and, and or a second unit and Luca ran the first unit. And what we've seen a little bit in the last several games when they played together, and we've seen this before, but it's just with how kind of in the doldrums the Mavs have looked offensively, when these two have played together, the offense is is really dynamite in the limited in the limited uh, data we have so far, right? Yeah, yeah. So far, I think uh, lineups with Branson, I put this in the article, Luke and Branson lineups are like in 99% percentile in the league on offense. If you remove uh, KP, so only Luca and Brunson, they are 100 percentile on offense. It's a small sample, but they're great. <laughs> um, but it's also, I think this is, maybe we can talk also about that. There are some t- downsides to Brunson, and I wrote it in the article about his size and defense. But when we talk on offense, and this is something I also wrote last year in our in my Mavs Manable analysis of him, he's like a good fit with Luca because he can play off the ball. So he's good uh, spot up or catch and shoot uh, shooter you know mm-hmm. especially for, for the three-point line and this is something that's difficult to do for example josh richardson we saw last year this problem how difficult it is for the guy who is used to have the ball playoff ball for like 10 minute stretches and not touch the ball or get limited touches so i don't think richardson offensively is that bad of the player that he was in dallas but he's just not the type to fit next to luca which is not the easiest fit but Bronson in that regard is because he can play both roles. And Luca obviously trusts him. We saw this in the last uh, games, but even before, even last season. So do you think – see, and, and this this is kind of a broader Mavs question, but I really want to – I'm thinking of it with Brunson in mind when I'm asking. The offense to date has been rough uh, for team-based yeah. data. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of an understatement and there's a lot of different reasons for why that mm-hmm. is. It's not any one thing. Do you think that adding Brunson to either the starting lineup or giving him more Luca based minutes is a, is it, is an option or does it have too many like long-term downsides? You know, the side, like playing Luca, Brunson and Tim Hardaway, for example, together is just that's asking a lot. Yeah. The defense is rough. <laughs> like, it, um, what what do you think of this this kind of concept? Because I think a lot of people want to see Brunson start, and I'm just not sure. No, I think I think together, Luca and Brunson are a good fit. But Luca Brunson, Tim Hardaway Jr. and KP are not a good fit. You know, mm-hmm. I wrote and talked about this at length in the past. I think all four. None of them is, let's say, unfortunately, KP is not that guy anymore. They are not like solving problems on defense. They more complicate things on defense than they solve it, all four mm-hmm. of them. So you have to scheme for, at some point. And I think in, let's say, in a playoff matchup, you can have one of such such guy on the floor. And I think for the Mavericks, we know who that guy is going to be. Yeah? So it's going to be Luca. And until Luca improves defense, if he can, to a point that you don't need to scheme for him or he's not, let's say, uh, he cannot be attacked. It's going to be difficult who you put next to it. And 
like you said, putting Luca, Hardaway Jr. and Brunson as your point of the attack defenders is is rough. Brunson is good, in my opinion. Brunson is not a bad defender. He's good positionally, but he's still six he, one. Like that exactly. That so he has problems you. with size, and he's not a disruptor. So he he's not somebody you put on ball, and uh, neither is Tim Hardaway Jr. So if you have this this as your main point of attack defense, I think you're gonna you're gonna struggle. So long term, this is the problem that will probably it's I think it's a problem of long term fit, and we'll see how it will go with his contract extension, mm-hmm. and even before maybe we will see at the deadline. I don't yeah. think I think Merrick's are aware of this, so we'll see. I said when Tim Hunter Jr. signed the extension, that in my opinion, it's not a long-term thing. Not necessarily him, but him, Luca, and KP, right. and Bronson, because the four best players, I don't think they are a good fit defensively. Mm-hmm. And and you know, teams that are on the ascension, which is more or less what the Mavericks are, teams that eventually build towards a championship they don't stick with the same group of guys. There might be two to three core pieces, but often it's mixing and matching and finding the right thing. Like the bucks did with Chris Middleton and Giannis. And it's, it's finding those sorts of, of fits. It's, it's frustrating to, to think about that in one degree, because when you said earlier that, that about how good Brunson has been relative to all the other Mavericks draft picks, the fact is they, they may have to consider, doing something with him that doesn't involve him being in the Mavericks in the future. But you, you write, you wrote a little bit in the article about how Brunson has proven sort of the, the point for the need for a secondary ball or for like a secondary playmaker score. And you talk about, you know, some of the other names, like the comparison points that you reached there that you use, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Mike Conley, um, uh, Goran Dragic to a degree. And that's where it, it, for me, Brunson working out like this, it just, it makes me, I I love it when something confirms my prior, like where, (laughs) when, you know, like we know that he needs a secondary, like that the Mavericks need a secondary ball handler. And then Brunson gets the chance to be that secondary ball handler. And then what do you know? Things actually look pretty good. So it's, it's nice to know that we're not necessarily crazy, but for again, guys, if you haven't read this article, go click on it, go read it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I like reading some of these deeper dives. There was one last data point, which I would love for you to explain to me because I don't think I'm getting the context properly. There's this real cool chart of self-created shots. Could you walk me through that? And then why, like how in the world Brunson is, is like the number two guy. So this chart is, Going back to my point that I started thinking about him last season. So this is from last season. And for self-created shots, we take shots. I think this is per set part now, let's say, guidelines. Uh, shots that that have more than two seconds of touch time. So okay. if the touch time is zero to two, it means it's like catch and shoot. So you're, it's not something, or it's, a, it's shot at the rim because it's assisted, you know, or it's right. a putback. But if it's more than two seconds, you're probably dribbling. So this is, let's say, one... Uh, one characterization of self-created shots and of players who took more than 400 of these shots. So let's say a lot. Brunson was second in efficiency only behind last year, only behind uh, Steph Curry. And it was, it has a lot to do. If you look his career through shooting, which is let's say a mark of scoring efficiency or shooting at the rim, 
he's way he's be better than all eight guys that I compared to, to throughout the career in the first 200 games. So better than Lowry, better the, than Van Fleet, better than Conley the first 200 games because what he really improved last season is getting to the rim, you know? I think last season in Mavs Manibal article, I wrote about how he talked about changing his diet and he he is deceptive. I think he he's faster than he looks. Yeah. And also uh, he has these tricks of, uh, let's say, great at fakes, uh, fakes, has he drives and he gets to the rim and he finishes well. He, this year he's a little bit worse. But still good for it's like a little bit worse when with the sample size that if he yeah, has like yeah. one and a half more shots, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's still because last year he was like 70%, which is like Yanis level, you know. So at the rim, I think this year it's around 65 66%, which is great. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, this is basically as I said, and going back to your point that. You need two of these guys. We saw it last year in the playoffs with Phoenix. And Phoenix has Chris Paul and Booker, and they basically worked great together. So I don't think uh, it's probably. I don't think that there shouldn't be a point that we say, okay, no, we don't need this with Luca. He has to have the ball and create ninety-five percent of the time. I think it's obvious that this works well. I think it's more the pieces around, like we said, especially. How other fit, pieces fits on defense, and their their things are much more complicated than just saying let's play with Branson with Luca all the time, uh, and it will be great. Because I think there are other pieces around. Also, I think how you redistribute shots, because now even now Branson is third on the team in field goal attempts, and uh, KP is field goal attempts because his minutes are down. So we'll see who will get. Uh, extensive usage and shots if Branson's minutes go beyond 30 minutes like he said he wants to do. Hmm. Well, again, really fun article. Great read. Enjoyed it. Now that I have you on the phone, I need to to pick your brain about a couple of Mavs like broader items before we get out of here. Um, the Mavericks are 7-3. and three, And a lot of this to people who really are kind of watching mainly for fun. They're not watching with an analytical eye. I think they, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback about this where it's like, why are you concerned? Why do you care so much about point differential? Why are, like, they're seven and three. What can, you know, what is, what is wrong with you, more or less, is, is a lot of the feedback that I'm getting, um, which means that, that A, I'm, I'm probably too grouchy for my own good. But, but B, it's, it's, I, I think there's a little bit of lack of, of context going on with, with what's happening this season. So we know that the Mavericks are kind of playing ugly offensively, but it just hasn't mattered yet. I think I've really bought into an idea that you've sold me on, particularly with, you know, Luca over the course of time has, as even though he's only 22, he historically has shown the ability to adapt to figure out how to get the most out of a given situation. So Luca's had kind of a rough start to the year, but I think he's going to be fine past Luca maybe just frankly, you know, scoring a little easier, making a few more shots, that sort of thing. What do you think is is kind of the answer for the Mavericks to kind of cure their offensive ails? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think Luca will, will be fine. I think he, he, he usually figures it out. And I think uh, he will. And we saw last year he started slowly. Uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily say that he's not playing well now because he's not playing at least not to uh, up to his standard but offense 
it's tricky like you said there are so many things we are at 10 game mark which is not still the one that you will say okay we can certainly say some things because things can be fluky for example like with mavericks i think against denver it was the classical schedule loss like a second night on back-to-back traveling to denver and playing at altitude you get blown out by 30 points and it completely messes up the data in a 10 game sample size data but so i think we need like 10 more games to see how some of these things are true but on the other hand i get where you're going offense can look great i wrote for example i think it was one of my uh, post-olympic observation piece for the magazine and i said one of the observation is no matter what uh, team Luca plays, it will be a top 10 offense, you know, based on the Olympics and based on Luca's prior teams, you know. Sure. Because the Slovenian team was, imagine guys, the Slovenian team before couldn't beat, like the, in the qualifications without Luca, they couldn't beat like some of the worst teams in Europe. And they were the second best or on pair with US, the top offense on the Olympics, you know. So now that the, the Mavericks are in bottom in offense, something is, Something is not okay, but there are so many things, like you said, new rules, foul rules, new ball, shooting struggle. Dallas is still 27th in three-point efficiency. KP going out so early, he's struggling. So it's hard to connect all the dots yet. There are some things, as I said, that are concerning. For example, pick and roll. Dallas historically was always good under Carlisle. Not only pick and roll ball handlers or Ruka and Branson scoring, which they are still good, but they were good, uh, good at rolling, uh, you know, the roll men. So they were always in the top of the league. Last year they were excellent, fifth in the league, and this year they are 24th. So, mm. so it's just wild one. to even consider that that's the case. And I think some of that just regresses positively yeah, we'll with see. more I mean, reps. <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, this. I mean, the offense now with KP, all the data, again, he played only, I don't know, 300 or some uh, possessions minutes. It looks rough. So I think it's it's difficult to see. Luca plus KP lineups have been bad, which historically have been on offense. Uh, historically, they, they have always been good. So we'll see. I think now the next today or tonight is a great test, more on defense uh, versus the Bulls. But we'll see on the next four or five games how they will look. How Because some of the things that Keith said that he wants to do at the beginning, he talked a lot about KP and currently he's struggling the most. He's averaging like 14 points per game and shoots 45% uh, field goal um, mm-hmm. on a higher usage. So his minutes are down, but his usage is back to New York days. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember one of my, I think, bigger deep dives over the summer for Moneyball was, you know, what Mavericks did last year when basically they reduced usage slightly. It's like they scientifically picked out all the bad shots and just made him like the good shot diet and he was the most efficient scorer in his career. And this year it's the opposite. So it's going back to more like New York KP that Keith talks about, like uh, 27% usage, which is up to that, the highest since he got to Dallas and he is now shooting a lot more uh, mid-range shots like he did in New York. Which I, I wish he would take, you know, like the, the the New Orleans game was a pretty good example. Like the guy was 3 of 14 from the floor, I think. No, 4 of 13, excuse me. Um, and, and three of his makes were three-pointers. And I wish to a degree that 
things were a little more strategic and that he understood where he's going to succeed in a given game. Smaller, stronger defenders give him problems. So to, I wish that he would have shot like 10 threes in that game and not a single post up and only in, you know, tried to get to the rim where his size mattered. And instead he, he's, he's, he is doing some of this stuff that he wants to do. And I wonder how long of a rope the coaching staff will give him because there were, Zach Lowe wrote about this to a degree where there's just times where he's posting up in awful spots for bad reasons. And I think they want to make it like you sacrifice the occasional possession to make a guy to keep yeah. a guy involved. I think that's just kind of the the math we're going to have to deal with, but I'm just, he's a smart basketball player. And when he doesn't do smart things, it confuses me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I also don't know how much is this only him and how much is like, You know, because Keith talks a lot about, you know, taking advantage of matchups. It's not only him. You see Luca posting oh, up a lot more. So I think they're trying to be more aggressive at like, attacking these post-ups but, and mismatches. But like you said, I don't know if KP is that the best part of his game. He was defended by Josh Hart. I mean, mm -hmm. almost exclusively the whole Pelicans game. And Josh Hart is what? 6'4", uh, 6'5". I don't know. He's not tall. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's also, I mean, in, in a way I get that kids wants to change stuff and it's looking awkward. For example, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is one other guy that is asked to do too much at the moment. You know, That's really think... interesting. Matt just talked about that with me, that he felt that, that, and I guess I just haven't noticed it because I roll my eyes whenever he does anything other than shoot. <laughs> But Matt noticed that too, that that there's some guys doing different stuff. That's yeah, I, I think you you could see him, I don't know, attacking, driving more, but I, I don't think it's only that. I think the offense they're changing. I think with Carlisle, they had like this system. Um, I think Luca or ex Mavericks assistant Jenny Bausek talked about how Luca likes it, like less movement, they're more static because he like controls everything on the court. And I think for a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith, who is quite mechanic, being in spot and expecting what to do, I think it's simplified his role. So I think now with Igor, I think some European stuff is, for example, if you look, watch more closely, requires not only you know action on the strike side, but there are some movement on the weak side. So it's not only if you're always sitting in the corner, but you're doing some, I don't know, some screening, some movement, some stuff like that. So I think for guy like Donner Finney-Smith, who is not, let's say, good shooter of the movement, or he needs to be, like, prepared, gathered, fit set, expecting a shot, you know, I think that's a problem for him. But we'll see how this uh, will evolve uh, going forward. I think it could be that I, I get the point, what they want to do with the offense, diversify it a little bit, but maybe some of the players on the roster are not the best for that. Mm -hmm. My my friend uh, Matt Moore of the Action Network came on I don't know last week and he made a point that I think and it has a distinction so I don't want I want to repeat this and, and make sure I'm saying it clearly. He said that it looks like that the Mavericks to a degree don't really like playing together. Now that's not saying he wasn't saying they don't like each other. He's saying that like the everything felt as he's watching and rewatching tape that things are just a little bit labored. And for me, I've settled on, you know, if they go five, like, like if they go five and five over their next 10, particularly with the increase in difficulty of an opponent, I think that's a good 
like that's a win. I mean, they're five, they're uh, four games over 500 right now. And with the new coaching staff and sort of incorporating new concepts, I think that, you know, you, you, ha- you need to give it not, and not just for sample size, but also for like pure out like comfort, it's going to take 25 or more games till these guys feel, you know, feel out these roles. You know, you mentioned some of the extra movement in the offense. Mm-hmm. We've seen numerous times this year where two guys are cutting to the rim at once, for example. Yeah. And that's just a, that's a, a, an issue over time. Like you get more comfortable, you learn when to cut within an offense or within a play design or read. And mm-hmm. for guys that haven't been doing that, it's going to, it, it's either going to take them a while, which is the hopeful thing that they eventually figure it out, or they're not going to figure it out. In which case, eventually the Mavericks will likely either try different players, um, I, I think everyone kind of agrees that this team that they have right now is not who's going to be on the team um, by end of all, you know, by the, by the trade deadline. And that's okay. Because, you know, again, if they're notching wins and if they're, they're, they're trying new things while winning more than they're losing, I think that's something that at least I'm going to have to get used to because I hate, I just, I, I miss aspects of like the really <laughs> beautiful games that they play. Yeah. Like, I want them to kick the crap out of a team and they just haven't really done that yet, you know? Yeah, but it's also something that we wrote when I think when we discussed Ruka's shots at the rim, I wrote how, let's say two years ago when they have historical offense, Luca played, I think, 37% of uh, his possessions was with KP at the five. So like this, and the other guys around him was Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry. So three guys that you need to really... Mm-hmm. stick with because they're great shooters yeah and now last year this percentage uh, uh, dropped to 31 and i think this year because they're pulling so like a lot of uh, porzingis plus powell uh, it's tricky so to me we'll see i think i try to be fair for example to porzingis i i wrote and talked a lot how he makes things much easier for Luca just being out there spacing, but he's a such high demand star that complicates a lot of things. So to me, what it will be really interesting, like you said, in the next stretch, because it's obviously that currently Dallas is not so good that they would just beat everybody, you know, like even the bad teams just stroll. Point differential shows, game show, they struggle to beat the bad teams. They do, but they struggle. So they don't have this, a lot of room to improvement, you know, or a lot of margin for error. So Branson, using Branson and his scoring was a must because he was so efficient and he's currently the most efficient scorer. So we'll see now with KP Deck, you know, how this shot distribution within the team will will end up, you know, because I don't think uh, they have, as I said, enough margin of error to, I don't know, to, to, to let uh, KP try to do this thing at this rate, at this efficiency, at much higher volume. So we'll see. We'll I would have see. said the same thing. And yet then they're seven and three. And I don't know what to do with that because I, everyone in my life that is not a hardcore Mavs fan is like, really, what are you complaining about? And I'm like, I, I feel like it's the old proverbial canary in the coal mine where if they're still scoring 101 points a game or whatever it is, that's going to start to show up where they're playing teams that are simply better. I, I hope I'm wrong because there's just enough of these other weird things happening offensively that you've mentioned that if a couple of those things break back to what they, you know, have historically been, 
then this team is going to be okay. Like Porzingis is shooting 35% from the field. Like that's not going to hold up. He's taken okay shot. I mean, I I agree with you about the mid-range stuff. Like he's missing threes at a hilarious margin, which that's just not going to hold. Same with, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and even Luca to a degree. Yeah, yeah. even T. Hardaway, I think, 37%, which is okay, but not not great. Not what he's, let's, he's... Uh, his let's say best uh, attributes are, but we'll see. I think, as I said, if I go back, I think the thing with KP is that it complicates the planking with Paul because they try to save his legs on defense, mm-hmm. uh, and this complicates his life a lot on offense and everybody else's life. I think if you see, and I think uh, Bobby, I think talked in his podcast about it, is teams are just not. You know, they're just not guarding Paul at all. So, uh, and it's uh, it's tough for everybody, for all the other four players on the floor. Uh, things get much more crowded, much tougher, you know. So, uh, this is something that uh, we'll see. But I don't see they get out of it because I think Kid is trying to do what Lakers did with Anthony Davis for last two years, you know. Mm-hmm. Be really selective when they play AD at the five. Because he's also his body's, let's say, injury prone. So I think they will just try to fight through regular season. And we see that they go in closing lineups, they go small or with KP at the five, they go uh, in stretches, but they will, I think they will keep this thing uh, because I think it's just too fragile to, to play with him to start games and just play exclusively uh, him as a center. I think it's. His body, it's just, it's not only, I don't know, banging against uh, Valentunas or Embiid or Jokic. It's also, you know, defending the pick and rolls, going down in stance. This is what Powell do now most of the time. They put KP on the, let's say, least uh, uh, dangerous opponent, front court player or even backward player. And they try to protect him from the weak side. And Powell is the one who's mm-hmm. defending mo- most pick and rolls. So this is where... I think they're trying to save him, but as I said, it complicates uh, complicates life on 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 offense for him and for everybody else. I can't help but think that they, you know, as much as we started off talking about the importance of another ball handler or playmaker, I can't help but think when they have this roster that's made up of, you know, Maxi Kleba is kind of a one of the more unique of the big men, but you know, you have Powell. Um, uh, Brown and you have Willie Cauley Stein that are all variations of a theme. Like they're the same, you know, they yeah. do or rather they don't do the same stuff. And so you, you, you finding a, another big on the trade market that can bring some versatility, I think would allow them. Cause I agree with you. I think they, you can't play KP at five over the, the long haul. And I think we all, want that but it's just not gonna happen so if you can play in 15 minutes a game and then figure out other things that will get you through i think that that's really the best way forward and hopefully there's a guy out there um uh who's this i really wanted the spurs uh he he got traded from the bulls to the spurs what's his name um today was young yes like i i don't i know he's not really a a, a big in no, a no, classical he's a, sense he's one of the better role uh let's say role players and he's also He's a guy who can play out of a short role. He's a great passer and playmaker. He's also a good defender. So I think a guy like that, he's not like a huge name, but I think a guy like that could help 
Yeah, because you're just trying to soak up minutes. And if you need to do the thing where you want to go score 25 points in a you know nine minutes of a quarter, then you run KP out at the five and you figure it out. Well, hey, I have already took taken up way more of your time than I meant to, but I, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. Um, getting this, this is this conversation has also woke me up in the middle of my afternoon. I was a little <laughs> and <depressed>. the dog, <laughs> yeah, hold oh, the dog too. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, but uh, Isak Franco, you can find all of his work at Dallas Magazine or D Magazine and occasionally Mavs Moneyball, but there's only so many hours in the day, uh, for a man to write words. So, uh, we hope to have you on here probably, uh, maybe in the next 10 or 12 games. All right, yeah, great, looking forward. All right, guys, Kirk Henderson is Talk Franco. Remember to subscribe, leave a review, share. We appreciate all that stuff. Uh, and we'll see you guys for the Friday game. And I can't remember who they play at the moment. Oh, well, talk to you soon. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hip. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back. I'm joined on Wednesday afternoon uh, by Mavs Moneyball frequent contributor Matthew Phillips. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? All right. So, you know, we're recording this before the Mavericks play the Bulls, and that's a little bit important just for context, because I wanted to review uh, and go over some some an article that you wrote, kind of looking back at just 10 statistics that you found worth writing about. Um, it's they're not all bad. They're not all good. They're mostly weird because these first 10 games, you know, for for anybody that has listened to us regularly knows that obviously they're seven and three which we're delighted by but the like the numbers don't match that record at all like they're they're 20 uh, they're 21st in net rating which is is just is good enough for like 21st net rating means they should be like literally three and seven like (laughs) not seven and three like there's some odd stuff going on and so you kind of just decided to do a deep dive um into to what you were seeing and so what you know of all the ones that, that you put together on this post, and again, it's up on MavsMoneyBall.com. What was the one that stood out to you the most? The number that stood out to me the most was just how terrible the starting lineup has been, because <laughs> the like it is. I, I haven't gone through everybody else's numbers. I just looked at the math, so I'm sure there are worse lineups in fewer minutes and everything. But the the minus twenty point six net rating is like it's hard to be that bad especially given the poor line, the poor schedule that we've played because we've played mostly bad teams it is i mean like it's it's just really hard to be that and 
especially just how bad they've shot when they've played together. The the number that I used in the post was the 30.7% that they've shot if you add all of their three-point attempts together. But I believe it's like 26.3 when they're actually all on the court at the same time. And I mean, like they're basically making a quarter of their threes and they're getting open looks. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's it's a combination of things. One, I really think, and I mentioned this in the Slack today, but I really think that part of what's hurting Dorian Finney-Smith's shooting is that they're asking him to do too much. They're asking him to do things that he is not able to do. What do you mean? Walk us through that. So one of the biggest things with him is I have been pretty consistent that I believe one of Rick Carlisle's greatest strengths is to get a lot out of poor players by just asking them to do one razor thin thing and that that is also why he has struggled with with really good players as far as getting along with them is because they don't mm. like being pigeonholed into into very small roles. That's his issue with Rondo, with Luca, with Kid when he was a player. But with Dorian, that works because Dorian has a limited skill set. And so what we've done, we've we've had Dorian bring the ball up the court a ton. We've had Dorian dribble into above the break threes. We've had Dorian try to shoot off of movement. And last year and the year before when yeah, um, he received he had a very simplified role of just knock down open threes in the corner, do not move, do not do anything. And now he's trying to do too much, and all of that takes away focus and energy from the shooting. And I think that's a big part of why he's missed so many open threes. And then, and some of it is just shooting variance. There's obviously going to be that. Right. But, His last two games have been much better. But he's also, I feel like they've had him bring the ball up less, and I feel like they're asking him to do less now. Um, and so I really think, and this shoehorns into that, but I, I think how much better KP has been with Bullock than with Dorian and just how much better he's been when Dorian is off the court. It, if, they, if the goal is really we want to unleash the best version of the unicorn that we can, the answer to that is to play him with Dorian less because he's better in space. Hmm. And, when he's, and when he's playing with Dorian, and especially when he's playing with Dorian and Powell, he has no space. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the lineup stuff is, is something we're going to keep coming back to until they, they make a change because Powell, the Powell Dorian two man lineup, I want to say has like a net rating of like negative 15. It, it's rough. And then essentially all um, Powell lineups are bad. And I, I don't know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing, but I do believe that, that when it comes to scouting the Mavericks, when those two are out on the floor together, defenses are essentially making the risk of saying, we're not going to guard Powell. Let him take these threes because he's taking way more threes, which doesn't make sense. And then if we get beat by Dorian Finney-Smith, we get beat by Dorian Finney-Smith because he's taking uh, his, his – his, it's not like he's an eight or nine three-a-game guy. He's taken, you know, five, maybe. And that's on a good that's on a good game. So it's when and when you allow for that, it just allows the the other three Mavericks are a lot easier to cover, even if it's Luka Doncic. Oh, absolutely. And that segues well into the the how bad Luka has been posting up this year, uh, which I mentioned <laughs> in there. He's in the twelve the twelve point five percentile as a post score, which is I mean, he has been a dominant po- he has been a dominant post scorer early in his career. Like that has been a weapon. Is when they have posted him because of how big and strong he is. He just destroys guards on post. And I'm working on something else on this. But one of the the biggest things that is a factor in that, as I've gone back and looked at it more and like started actually kind of going through and watching his post plays, is the Mavs have very very rarely 
ran plays to get a small on him to get the the other team's point guard onto him and they can do that either by in the starting lineup having tim hardaway jr screen for him or when he's playing with Brunson, which has been by far the Mavs' most effective lineups that have Luka in them, have been is for Luka to screen for Brunson. And we just we haven't done that much this year. And it's and so Luka has been posting like-sized or even bigger players, and he's done that with poor spacing. And we've cut into him. There's a lot of things that have led into that, but just in general, posting Luka has not worked this year nope. at all. Honestly, posting everyone hasn't worked. Like we we talked about it. I mean, I think that's actually one of the three lines for the season for the Mavs so far. Is we started the season obviously and hilariously with the Dorian Finney-Smith post-up game where we had where he posted up against the Hawks, and it looked like that was literally our game plan. Is just we're going to post Dorian against Trey, which I I believe that was an attempt to wear Trey out. I'm yeah. going to give them the benefit of the doubt that we did not go through a whole off season and our plan for the very first game is yeah we've worked on it. We're going to get Dorian Finney-Smith in the post. But we've posted, and it just our post offense has been terrible, which is a combination of the players not being particularly good at it and not being in the right positions to do so because Porzingis has also not been effective in the post. And as everything with this team is going to come back to at some point, they just haven't made shots. And because they haven't made shots, people have been able to gamble and double, and it just hasn't worked. Yeah, and and you know I'm talking with him next, but sequentially in the podcast, I'll have just talked with this talk Franco about his article about Brunson, and the the Brunson thing is is really the 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 big picture positive to take away from the early point of the season, and this is a little bit of a ridiculous question, but I'm wondering if Brunson is simply playing that well, or is he playing that well in relation to everyone else who is playing that badly. <laughs> Because like everyone else on the team, it really maybe Maxi Kleba, but he's missed a lot of games due to injury right now. Almost everyone else on the team, particularly in the in the starting rotation, you can look at them and say they have a like they can improve significantly with what they're doing. You know, you have Bullock shooting, which has not been fantastic. Um, you have Porzingis, whose his shooting has been terrible. Um, I, I don't know what he's shooting on the year, but it 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 cannot be it cannot be good. You have Luca with with your sorts of the the stats that you were just talking about, and and there's lots of of ways to where if these guys or a few of them improve in a few areas, then they will be okay. Um, it, it's it, I, I'm wondering if i don't really know how how what to expect because these next 10 games are a little harder than the first 10 games uh to put it mildly um they have more road games they have uh, things of of that nature to really t- pay attention to but the early the early returns on this season are some kind of ugly basketball and it just hasn't mattered in 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 most you know because they've yeah, won 70 percent of their games yeah i think on Jalen i think Jalen has been extremely good um i know a lot of the mavs facebook community which i don't think you're on but i know you're on the twitter community uh they're concerned because he didn't sign an extension which i think is just a product of the way the cap works he can't sign that he's going to make much more money by not signing the extension um it's i don't think that it indicates any kind of a long-term desire to leave i think he will be here but he has been really good um a thing that i believe with him is that and i've I said this before, I don't know if I've said this on here, if I've just said this to friends, but we often talk about players that were that were guards growing up and then grew a bunch late. 
like Anthony Davis and how they can handle because of that. Uh, Jalen Brunson is the exact opposite of that. Uh, he's talked about it before um, that he was a big man growing up that I think he's been six, one or six, two, since he was like 12. And like, I, I think he grew, he matured very early. And because of that, he was a post player and it, he grew up doing a great job of uh, like footwork and having great post footwork, which it's not truly in the post. Like we don't post him, but he gets to the rim and he does all the little mm-hmm. step throughs and tricks and everything. And he has the, it's, it's a, basically a reverse of the other. We're like, he is a big man in a guard's body as opposed to a guard in a big man's body. And so it's just like his footwork around the rim is amazing. And he just, you would think at some point that NBA teams would learn that he's probably going to go left and shade him that way, which uh, I'm always concerned that that will be a, uh, something he will have to adjust to. Although I did notice that he did have one bucket where he went right and never got back to his left the other day, which made me happy because I've always been worried that that would be a, a, a problem for him once teams just guard him going left because he always goes left mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. i th- i think that he has been just fantastic and his on off numbers are stunning like his positive on off numbers are even more stunning than luca's terribly negative on off numbers he's i want to say i can't remember it off the top of my head but it's like the offense is like 15 to 20 points better with him on the court and the defense or i think it's actually 25 points better with him on the court and the defense is like 10 points better with him on the court like they're just much, much better with him on the court than off. Sure. And well, uh, it's just, he does everything. He, he's he been really, really good. Like he has been a revelation as far as how good he has been. Um, Before I let you go here, I wanted to know, are there any sort of, of statistical markers or things in particular past, like, I don't know, shooting percentages for certain guys that, that you're going to keep an eye on that you think that you think kind of will, will dictate this team's success or, or maybe lack of it, depending on your point of view. For me, the thing I always look at is the number of assists that the team has outside of Luca, um, because it's a it's a proxy for how well they are moving the ball, in my opinion. And so one of the big things is that they've actually averaged more assists as a team in the like per possession when Luca is on the bench right now, and then they have with him on the court, which is because the ball gets sticky with Luca. Uh, he holds on to the ball a lot and everything. Um, so that is for me is that, and then as a smaller subsection of that, I always specifically look at Porzingis' assist because, uh, like I said last year, in the six games that he had at least four assists, they were six and zero and had an average margin of victory of eighteen points a game. Um, so when Porzingis passes well, the Mavs play better. Um, he had a very nice pass to Boban in the last game where he threw. I think, I'm not sure if it was actually an alley oop or if Boban like caught it and landed and then finished, but. He, he has the ability to pass because of how big he is, and especially once we make the more obvious adjustment to get him in more space, he's capable of making passes because of how big he is and how skilled he is, and I, it helps us a lot. I, I couldn't agree more. One of the things I really liked from him uh, was it was just the other night. He threw like a jump pass from a, a post up on the opposing elbow to someone in the corner. It was just a really nice play. It was a really simple read to a degree because the guy was wide open, but he didn't force anything. He made the play. He he played basketball and reacted to the play instead of doing something that was predetermined. And when Porzingis just is a little looser, I really like how he plays when he's not so 
you know, you can kind of tell when he's when he's made up his mind about what he wants to do, and I think that makes a big difference in how he plays. Yeah, the less robotic he is, the better. And this is kind of the segue off of this, but I actually think how obvious some of the things we want the Mavs to change are is a positive because it's extremely likely that they will figure them out. And so the ways, like, we have very obvious avenues for improvement. It's not that we've got to reinvent the wheel or anything. We can just do, like, we can play better shooting lineups. We can play Brunson and Luca together more. Like, there are plenty of things we can do that are very obvious improvements. And while those things are frustrating at the moment that we are not doing them, how obvious how obvious they are can actually be a positive if you look at it in the right light because they're obvious and we'll figure them out uh thank you matt for joining us today i i really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh wednesday afternoon um all right uh do you got anything else before we get out of here nope just hope we beat the bulls because i was pretty bearish on them preseason and pretty bullish on the Mavs. so i uh, really hope they win and especially because derozan i was i was one of the many people that didn't want him and I received an update today that he is apparently the front runner for the MVP, according to some odds makers, which I uh, don't like to be wrong. So really hope we win. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been Kirk Henderson and Matthew Phillips. Earlier, you heard his talk and I. Uh, again, this is gonna. This was all taped on a Wednesday before the Bulls game, uh, and I hope uh, you guys will check back in because we will be coming back after the Friday game. And I hope everybody has a nice rest of their week. Thanks. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy-five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.